Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you and worship you this morning for who you are and what you do. We bow our hearts before you, consciously aware that we're in your presence. We ask you now to open our hearts, open our eyes to see you, a new understanding, new revelation of your life, to see your truth. So we ask you as your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that you would teach us, that you would convict us. As we submit ourselves to you, we ask you to rule and take possession of our hearts, do a work in us by your Spirit that we can't do to change ourselves. So we ask you just to take possession of our minds during this hour, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Vicki and I are pretty new here to the church, but we know that Twin Rivers has a good history. I was talking to Luke this morning, 70-some years. Many lives have been changed. People have come to Christ here over the years. But I believe that God has something new for Twin Rivers, and uh, this is tremendously exciting to me. I believe the pivot point, the hinge for what he wants to do here in the future will be by prayer. We were talking about this morning up in the prayer room, but I believe as we are faithful in prayer that God will bring to pass his plans that he has for us, for this church. Everyone knows that prayer is a good thing. Every one of us know that we should pray. There's probably no area of our life that we acknowledge more and talk about more compared to what we practice. And I believe as we hear this, uh, and anytime we hear a talk on prayer, I believe there's a twinge of guilt that comes into all of our minds in thinking that we need to move up uh, in that area. The three areas, I believe, of our life we can look at that uh, give us a thermometer as to where we are at spiritually in our walk with God. Uh, one of those is the study of the Word of God. Second is what we do with our money. And third is our prayer life. Two times Jesus went into the temple. Uh, the very first act of ministry, his mother asked him to turn the water into wine. But the first choice he made after that was he went down to the temple. And then the last act of ministry, when before he went to the upper room uh, and to the cross, he went back down to the temple again. And he stopped what was going on there in the temple. And he said, you're not using my house for what I intended to be. He said, I want my house to be a house of prayer. Then Jesus went into the temple of God, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I believe that we need to make a decision that this church, Twin Rivers, will become a house of prayer. Now, we're blessed, wonderfully blessed, I believe, with Pastor Jeremiah here to hear the word and uh, his teaching. But I think we need an attitude where we are saying, uh, Lord Jesus, if that's what you want, that is what we will do. Prayer is a conduit. It's a channel 
through which the power of God is brought down into our lives on this earth. Luke chapter 24, Jesus told the people there at the mountain getting ready for his ascension. I believe this is my opinion. There were about 500 people there. And he said to them, I want you to go wait in an upper room and wait there until I send the Holy Spirit. After 10 days, the Bible says there were 120 people in the upper room. You know, if you call a prayer meeting and you don't know if it's going to be five days or 10 days or 20 days, I believe at the, by the end of 10 days, it had come down to 120. That's, that's how I see it. So what Jesus did when he got ready to end his earthly ministry and go back was to put in place a prayer meeting. That's how he approached his ministry. So uh, if you would turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 1 and uh, look at our first example, I believe our model of the church. Acts chapter 1 verse 14, they were there in the upper room. I believe this is given to us as an example, a model, and I don't believe we've improved upon this at all today. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we have this prayer meeting left here in the upper room. And they didn't know how long this was going to be. If you go to a prayer meeting, they tell you this could be days or weeks. You have no idea. Uh, it becomes very difficult at times, I believe, to wait. Uh, I believe during those days they were singing. I think they were repenting, reconciling some relationships, uh, just repenting, dealing with the different personal issues in their lives, relationships, uh, just worshiping and waiting and patiently praying. And I don't believe anything could have looked more hopeless when you're sitting there and you don't know how long this is going to be, you don't know what this is going to take. Uh, just ordinary, unlearned people, nobody special, just there hanging out, waiting and praying nine days before, the day before Pentecost. But within 24 hours, they were as bold as lions. They were on fire. They went out and began turning the world upside down. They began to experience revival. Things of their self, personal lives started falling secondary. They started uh, becoming tremendously uh, occupied with the kingdom of God. I think of Peter when Jesus came to him out there uh, on the beach before... Uh, he left, Peter had gone back to fishing, and Jesus confronted him and said, Peter, do you love me? Is my kingdom feeding my lambs, do you love me more than, I believe, fishing? See, their personal agendas got set aside. The Holy Spirit began to be poured out upon them, was unleashed, the power of God was coming forth there, and I believe that the devil was shaking in his boots. Everything began to change. Look over chapter 2. I wish we had like uh, six hours to look at this, but look at chapter 2, verse 41. I just want to walk through 
some of the examples here uh, to show the priority in the first church. Uh, 41. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. And they continued, devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and to prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They, as they met together, they continued steadfastly in prayer. That word steadfastly. Steadfastly can mean intensely, intensely. And I believe that we have the same Jesus dealing with us today. I believe we have the same Holy Spirit. I think we have the same God, the same Bible that they had then. I believe that his church is still his church. And I don't think just because of time, passage, that God has somehow lost his power. But today we can't say, silver and gold have I none. And we also can't say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. See, when we pray, the power of God begins to move in us, flow through us, and it begins to change our heart, unite our heart with the heartbeat of God. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So they were making a tremendous impact in the world. Look at verse 24. So when, they, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth. <clears throat> it's very clear they were men and women of prayer. That was their foundation. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The place was shaken. They were filled, they were controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and let me just say this here. You know, prayerless Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit, no matter what they say. So they, they begin to speak the word of God and speak it with boldness. Verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So, there was a oneness of spirit as they prayed together. They continued to minister with power. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace meant the people were accepting their ministry. They were seen as beautiful, good people. So then uh, jump over to 5. 14. I apologize for just running through this so quick, but uh, at least we can get a picture, I think, of how the church was built. Uh, Acts 5.14, and believers were increasing, added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. 18, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison, but at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. 
Look at 6.4. But we all will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, I, I got to go back. Verse 6.1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, Is it not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, the problem here was the church was growing so fast, there were so many people, and they became too busy. Too many activities, too busy. But they made prayer a priority. And the way they did that was to assign responsibilities and call out the deacons. Verse 4, it makes it very clear, we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's the two great activities of ministry, of the prayer, of the, uh, of the church. Prayer and ministry of the word. It's like two wings on an airplane. You can't pick which one. You can't, you can't get along with just one. So in prayer, we talk to God. Through his word, he talks to us. And then look at verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So there was great fruit, thousands, many people coming to Christ through the ministry, but the foundation was the working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the people as the church prayed. And I think the battle today in the church is no different than then, a battle of busyness. If we ask most people, why they don't do certain things, they will say busyness. I mean, that's, that's the most common answer. We, we have to pick priorities. We have many things that call our attention, many things that we can do. If we could work our way all the way through the book of Acts, we'd be able to see clearly the priority in the place that they put prayer. Because it, it's the means of doing the work of the ministry. It's the way that God connects to his people and uh, releases his power. I wish I was tempted to talk about corporate prayer. I would love to take a, a couple of hours and talk about corporate prayer. Why is it necessary for us to come together and pray as a church instead of just in our prayer closets, pray individually? And that's a whole nother uh, subject. Go over to, but let me, let me just address it briefly. Go over to 12, Acts 12, 5. And we'll see an example here. You know, they'd killed James, beheaded him. They put Peter in prison and was going to bring him out to uh, execute him. But it says that Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Look at verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then it goes on to tell how the prison doors came open. 
But it's saying here the church got together and they prayed, they prayed until Peter was released. And it says, of the church. The church means the, the body of people gathered together. And it said they were praying in the New King James says constantly. Some of your Bibles will say with great intensity. They were serious, pleading, crying out to God for Peter's life. And they just kept praying until the miracle happened. They didn't even know. They were still praying when Peter showed up at the house. His chains fell off. Angel slaps him upside the head and said, get up and get out of here. But the, but the corporate prayer of the church is a huge key that we can't talk about. Look at 13.3. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them away. When they're trying to make decisions, prayer and fasting was the key. 16.25. Chapter 16.25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. We could go on and on through the Bible. Let's do one more. Uh, chapter 20, verse 36. I wrote down some of my favorites. And we had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Old Testament, New Testament like Elijah, Moses, Daniel, Samuel. You can just move right down through the whole Bible. And the key to seeing the power and the move of God was always through prayer. There was recently a Gallup poll or Barna or Pew Research. I, I didn't write down which one it was going across America asking church members, Christians that attend church regularly, how much time do you spend a day in prayer? And that was really interesting to me when I was thinking about these things. And now, by that I mean that you set aside a specific time to just pray. Not going through an intersection and say, oh, God, help me, he almost hit me or something, but where you actually set aside. Now, this includes meals. You know, meals, you stop everything and you ask the blessing. That counts, okay? Average... Across all of America, uh, thousands of people, they said they averaged two minutes a day. That's, that's pretty amazing for Christians, but even more amazing than that, they asked thousands of pastors across America, and 28% of pastors said they pray nine minutes a day or less. And 61% of pastors said they pray 20 minutes a day or less. Now, that's 89% of the pastors across America trying to teach the Word of God, see people come to Christ, see the moving and power of the Holy Spirit in the church, and yet sort of leave God out of the equation mostly. But see, when, you, when, when we talk about it and we go one-on-one -on -one for, with some degree of honesty, it seems like uh, circumstances and busyness and things like that keep us from really having the prayer life that we think we ought to have. But the truth is, our prayer life reveals the condition of our heart. That's what sets our priorities. Isn't that true? See, Here's the problem. The problem is a heart condition. I'm just trying to be straight with you this morning. And the problem with a heart condition is a love for Jesus Christ. 
When you love someone, you can't spend enough time alone with them talking to them. That's just the way it is. You want to be with them. You want to share your heart, your dreams, your fears, your frustrations. You just want to share your heart with them. You want to be alone. You just want to share and talk with them. And you can't do it enough if you're in love with someone. But we're caught up. We're busy, preoccupied with, I want to say, trivia compared to spending time in the presence of God. You know, there's nothing wrong with eating. We need to do that or you die. There's nothing wrong with sleeping. You have to do that to be able to function, uh, to have a job and to go to work, to relax and to uh, have a hobby, uh, watch or be involved in sports. I mean, that's, that's part of life. Nothing sinful, nothing wrong with those things. But... As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about King Asa. He felt pretty strong. He came with his army up out across the battlefield, came up over a hill, and there were a million, the Bible says, Ethiopians to face. A million. Here's what Asa did. Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord... It is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go out against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa. Isn't that amazing? Now, where was the battle fought and where was the battle won? If you, if you go by Asa's tent and you throw the tent flap back and you see him there on his face crying out to God, that's where the battle was won. That's, that's, where, the, that's where it was settled. That's when the decisions were being made as to what was going to happen there in that battle. And somehow, somehow, there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with sleeping. There's nothing wrong with eating. But, but somehow there has to be a way that we can uh, get God involved in the equation. You know, I think about Moses going up on the mountain and spending 40 days up there with God. And if there's anybody in this world that was busy, it was Moses. He had two million people. He's out there before Jethro showed up. He's really leading them single-handedly. Uh, there couldn't be anybody in the world busier than Moses. And, and God says, come up here on the mountain and talk with me for 40 days. Well, you know, that's... <laughs> Moses said, oh God, you know, this, I mean, this isn't possible. You know the weight, you know the responsibilities, you know what the assignment you've given me, this just, no. Many Christians, this is my illustration, many Christians like plastic flowers. We look good, and this, look, this is better than real. There's no crumbly, fading, wrinkly, dead, this is good. But most Christians, I believe, become like this if they don't have a disciplined, good prayer life. There's no fragrance. There's no reproduction. There's no life. There's no fruit. There's no deep roots. And I believe that uh, it's so easy for us to look and dress up, shower up, and clean up. 
Today we have such a uh, human effort machine. Our, our confidence is in what we can do. We have human push, we have human organization, human confidence, human plans, schemes, achievements. I've been in churches, we have fog machines, rolling fog all across the stage for the Holy Spirit. Churches where they put gold flakes in all the air conditioning systems and roll, rain down gold flakes on all the people. I've seen, uh, I've been in churches, uh, strobe lights, uh, all kinds of ways that churches try to create a moving and a work of God, of the Holy Spirit, but, but not the power of God. Not the presence of God in that service. We can have spiritual life just like we can have physical life. You can have people, uh, I was up in Portland in the hospital the other day and uh, visiting with a man who couldn't function. You can, uh, you can be alive physically, but you can be in such a condition mentally, physically, uh, to where you're even in a coma where you're alive, but you're not capable of functioning can be through illness or, or all kinds of different reasons. And I believe that spiritually, it's possible to be the same way. We, could, we can actually be saved, but not actually moving in the Holy Spirit where we're functioning and being filled and being useful and reproducing in the Holy Spirit. See, it's not possible to really be close to someone really have a close relationship unless you sp spend time talking to them. There's no other way. I don't care if it's your friend or your spouse or your child, but my message this morning is Jesus Christ. It's not possible without spending that time in the presence of that person and sharing your heart. So I believe we need to intentionally structure our lives around our relationship to Jesus Christ, where we spend time in the Word. I often, when I meet with men, I say, when do you read your Bible? And get all kinds of answers. When do you pray? Get all kinds of answers. And I say, when do you go to work? 7 o'clock. <laughs> when do you get off work? 2.30. I mean, there's no, we have things in our life where we, there's no question at all what we do, when we do, uh, and we structure our life around the things that are most important. So the resources and the power of God is available to us today just the same as we see, I believe, in the book of Acts. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to give us victory, I believe, in every circumstance of life. Satan can be defeated by a praying Christian. And the victory's ours if we choose to fight in prayer. Walk in faith, stand, resist the devil in prayer. Let me look at, let's look at an example of this in Mark uh, chapter 9, if you would. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, 14. I wish we had time to look at Ephesians 6, deal with spiritual warfare. 
putting on the armor of God through prayer and supplication and showing how the battle can be fought in prayer and supplication. And, and so Ephesians 6, if you want to study that, I think is wonderful. Mark 9, 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. They could not cast it out. That they should cast it out, but they could not. 19, he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to Jesus, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him in both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he became as one dead. So the many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. See, prayer was the means of the power and the spiritual victory over this demon-possessed boy. It, it's the means of the power for life change to get God involved. Think of this. What would have happened if this happened a week after the ascension? A week after Jesus had gone back to heaven? What would have happened to this boy? See, the effect we have on, and the, uh, of the people around us, the people we love, is very much determined by our ability to do spiritual warfare. You know, they asked him here in verse 29, they said, why couldn't we cast him out? The disciples, I'm sure they said everything, did everything, laid hands on him, tried everything they could to cast him out, and they could not cast him out. In verse 19, Jesus already said, you lack faith. So verse 29, he says, if you want this kind of power, you've got to get your prayer life together. I mean, just real uh, clear on that. Now, it says prayer and fasting. We know that food is not as important as the spiritual condition of our children who are going astray or to keep them from going astray. We know food is not as important as our children. Prayer is the way we get God involved in that situation. But see, faith cannot be exercised apart from prayer. Faith equals prayer, is how it's said, or prayer equals faith. 
See, we, we all have neighbors, families, people, uh, children that we love. So I'd ask you this question. How much do you pray and fast for the people closest to you that you love regarding the issues that are going on in their life? That's warfare, spiritual Warfare from Genesis to Revelation all the way through the Bible is spiritual warfare from the Garden of Eden on. But the disciples could not win this battle. They could not fix this boy. They were in no spiritual condition to do it. Their prayer life was not adequate. And the people that we're trying to work with around us can only be helped by us if we have a spiritual faith, power, life that comes through prayer where we're able to help them. So what do you do when you're faced with a situation that requires God? What, what, what do you do when you've done everything you know to do? You've said everything you know to say. You've tried to reason with them. you try tried to threaten them. you try tried to get help for them. you try tried to do an inter, you've intervention. You've done everything you can think of you can do, and, you, and there is no victory. What do you do when you don't have the faith or you don't have the power that's needed? We see people all around us that are in tremendous pain, bound by strongholds. We see evil in their lives, you see people around you who are oppressed of the devil through drugs, alcohol, fear, jealousy, porn, gender confusion, all kinds of oppressions of the devil, bound by the devil, and you plead, you try to reason, uh, you cry, you try every way you can to deal with them, and you don't have the ability to help them. Well, either I operate in the flesh, just as a man, or we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 6, 63. The Spirit gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. So, my lack of prayer proves I'm still trying to do the work of God in the flesh, and without exception, the people God uses to do his work are men and women of prayer. You go through the whole Bible, it's clear. The well-being, the welfare, the good of the people around us that we love is very much dependent upon our prayer life. It's like in our hands with the ability to help those if we would get God involved in the equation. So there's a, there's a force, there's a power uh, in this world that controls the destiny of people, changes the course of people's lives that's at our disposal, and prayer changes things. This young demon-possessed boy here in Mark 9 could not deliver himself. He couldn't pray his way out of it. He couldn't fix himself. He couldn't repent of it. There's no way he could fix himself. Neither could the father, neither could the disciples. The work of God in this world is dependent upon his children 
in faith, praying, we have to talk to Jesus. I don't know of a clearer way to say that. It's not just a, an optional thing that we do if we have time some days. It's not just something that uh, is nice or, or feel good to go do or, or something like that. It's a commanded priority through the Word of God. And that's clear here. Verse 28 and 29 says, Prayer and fasting. Let me look at another example of this. If you would, in James 5, 13. James 5, 13. If anyone among you suffer, let him pray. Anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. Anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The fervent, effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Is that not incredible? <laughs> Could we pray and it not rain for three years? Could we pray and, the, uh, and see God move in the hearts and the lives of people like this? Says, Elijah was a man with a nature, verse 17, like ours, and he prayed earnestly. Earnestly means intensely, crying out with all of his heart. You're, you're ever praying and you fall asleep? You're praying and you're like, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Uh, Lord, I pray your soul to take. It says Elijah prayed with such intensity. You know, we have a picture of Jesus praying in the garden and blood was coming out his pores. That's where the battle of the cross was fought. In prayer on his knees in the garden. Elijah, it, it, the, the word used here is, is maximum intensity. Not just saying a prayer, not, not repeating a prayer, you know, not saying a prayer. I propose to you that the most important part of our day that we spend is in prayer and the Word, waiting upon God. And prayer is the way we wait. I wrote down here some of the great men of God. Listen to this. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His Word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my deliverance. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah says he gives power to the faint. To those who have no might, he increases strength. See, God has the wisdom, he has the power, he has everything that we need, but he gives it to those people who wait on him in prayer. So we set the limits. We set the limits in our own life by working in our own strength, 
by living in that situation according to our own understanding, and we should get sick and tired of living like unbelievers. Anybody knows a man can't part the Red Sea? Anybody knows a virgin can't have a baby? Anybody knows you can't walk on water? Anybody knows you can't raise the dead? I mean, we know those things, but of course they did. See, there is a, there is a God. And there is a power that God has that's available to us. But it's so hard. It's so hard to pray. There's no easier sin to commit, I believe, than prayerlessness. Listen to Samuel. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He's saying... That if I'm not praying for you as I should be, I'm sinning against God. That's an incredible, incredible statement. It's hard. It's hard. It's inconvenient. It seems counterproductive if you're a type A driven person, highly motivated, task oriented, busy person. It's hard to take time to pray and just stop and do nothing. But talk to God about it. <laughs> How can that make any sense just, just to talk? To God about it. And you get the feeling of doing nothing, and then you, as you're praying, you think, I gotta hurry up and get through praying so I can get to work and get doing important things. I got things to get done, so I gotta hurry up and get on with the day. Let me ask you this question Do you believe God is capable of doing anything today that He ever did in the past? Do you think He's lost His power? Do you think He's lost His concern for lost people? Do you think he's uh, farther away or, or uh, do you think he's changed at all? Can he duplicate? Can he exceed? Can he do greater? Jesus said to his disciples, you do greater works than I did. An amazing thought. Is that, is that possible after Jesus leaves? Okay. Three principles, three prac, uh, facts that I want to share with you about prayer. One is, no believer's spiritual life will ever rise above his prayer life. No church's effectiveness will ever rise above the level of the corporate prayer life of the church. No church's corporate prayer life will ever rise above the individuals within its the individual's prayer life. I was reading a book in 1991 by the pastor of the largest church in America, and he wrote a book that says, Too Busy Not to Pray. Isn't that amazing? Too Busy Not to Pray. Martin Luther, who shook the world, said, My workload is so heavy. I have so much on my shoulders. I have such a work that I have to get done today. I'm going to have to spend the first three hours in prayer. John Wesley, who had the most fruitful ministry in the world for a hundred years, said, if you want to be a pastor and work under me, you must get up, get alone, and spend four hours with your Bible and in prayer before you go talk to people. 
See, we can, we have such confidence in education, we have such confidence in human ability, we have such confidence in ourselves, but Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. We know, we know that answer. So victory, power, and joy in our lives is dependent upon our dependence upon God. Our dependence upon God is proven by our prayer life. The very nature of sin is independence from God. When we depend upon God, then he releases his power into that situation. So prayer has the same potential that God has. Whatever God can do, prayer can do. I hope we can see that connection. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I believe was the greatest preacher in the last hundred years, died about 20 years ago, that could be argued. But he said the ultimate test of the Christian life is the amount of time we give to prayer. He'd go up into the pulpit on Sunday morning. He preached, you know, in England, with the biggest church in England. And he, he would go up into the pulpit. He would pray for 20 minutes before he'd start to preach. Because <laughs> he thought God had to do something in the hearts of those people. <laughs> he didn't believe his intellect to reach a mind to reach a mind. He believed the Holy Spirit. So he's crying out to God and a move of the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of the people to change their lives, to cause them to understand, to reveal Christ, to... He was just consumed with the fact that God had to do something to those people. Jeremiah 33, 3. God says, call, I command you. Call unto me and I'll answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty things beyond anything you know. See, God has chosen to work through his obedient, praying children. And we have the unbelievable opportunity to work with God, to partner with God in the supernatural, <laughs> to work with him in his kingdom, in his work. And he adapts his work to our obedience and prayers. That doesn't make sense to me. But it's clear all the way through the Bible. Without him, I can't. Without us, he won't. Dick Eastman said this, something happens when I pray that doesn't if I don't. He's saying prayer changes things. Uh, I've asked the guys to play about, show about six slides up here on the screen that uh, hopefully will illustrate an application of this. Uh, the church we just left in California uh, has a huge prayer ministry. And they're putting up billboards all across America uh, to get prayer back in the lives of Christians. And uh, the scripture they use, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Rick just sent down about a thousand sheets of plywood last week down to the church there where we were to help build this ministry, billboards and signs all across America to get back into the minds of Christians that the solution for this country, the solution for America, 
is to get back to God. Get back to praying and depending upon God and getting him into the equation. But somehow, we're so busy doing. I think we're a lot like the little boy who rings a doorbell and runs away before anybody comes to the door. We're, we're just, we're busy. We've got to get on with something. We don't have time to wait. But we're so busy doing that we're not being. We're not human beings anymore. We're human doings. And we have confidence that we have uh, all the ability and all the technology and everything that we can do ourselves. But I think we have to slow down, get our focus back on God, and listen and be able to hear the still, small voice of God again. And here's why. Here's why we don't pray as we should. We believe we can do it. We believe we can do it on our own. So we basically operate in the strength of man and then complain about the strength of the enemy. But the truth is that we don't partake of the power of God by choosing not to pray and get him involved in that situation and crying out to him and expecting him to work in the hearts of that other person. If you're a wife, you know you can't fix him and you can, you can make the situation 10 times worse. You can't change him. But God, in a second, can change his heart. I think of prayer like writing a check, just a worthless piece of paper. <laughs> but you take it to the authority. Like a, a, a walkie-talkie, I don't use a, a cell phone. If you're in the battle in the warfare and you need more ammunition or you need troops or you need uh, supplies up to the front line, you call back and you get it sent. You get it sent up for the warfare. You get it, the what you need sent up to the front lines. One of my favorite uh, true stories: Martin Luther. I mentioned a while ago, 1540. Luther's good friend and assistant, Frederick Myconius became sick and was expected to die within a short time. From his bed, he wrote a tender farewell letter to Luther. When Luther received the message, he immediately sent back a reply. I command thee in the name of God to live, because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now, is that a powerful prayer? Presumptuous almost, we would think, right? He soon recovered. He lived six more years, and he outlived Luther by two months. <laughs> when Jesus was physically with his disciples, they could ask him anything. How he did anything. But what they wanted to know was how to pray. Because Jesus just walked around looking like an ordinary guy. He got hungry, he got tired, he got sleepy. He just walked around just looking like anybody else. But when he began to pray, they saw food begin to multiply. They see dead rays. They see uh, all kinds of miracles. They see just the power of God unleashed. People sick, healed, lepers. They just saw an incredible... They saw things happening, so they saw the key to the ministry of Jesus as to the power was his connection to heaven, and as he began to pray, Jesus had the power. He could just strike anybody dead. He could just, he had power, but prayer was his method, was his method of releasing the power of God, to release the power of God into that particular situation. Isaiah 36 
I think will be my last scripture. Isaiah 36. I'm trying to watch the clock here. Isaiah 36, 37. 36 tells about how the Assyrians came up against King Hezekiah. And the Assyrians were the most powerful nation then in the world. And they had conquered every nation they'd fought against. So they come up against the children of Israel. And uh, 37, Isaiah, 30, uh, Isaiah 37, 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear all the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they are not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, now God... Save us from his hand, and all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, Get this, because you have prayed to me against Shennacherib, king of Assyria. And then go down to verse 36, because we don't have time to read it all. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people rose early in the morning, they were the, there were the corpses all dead. <laughs> the most powerful king in history is just gone. Just gone. See, because God fought the battle for Hezekiah. See, when we fight, we fight and we, wa- do, and we do whatever we can do. When we pray, God fights, <laughs> and God does what God can do. If we're fighting our battles in the strength of the flesh, instead of the work of the Holy Spirit, we are defeated. So I think God wants to raise up here a group of people who begin to pray, begin to depend upon Him, begin to cry out, To him. A group of people who can defeat the powers and principalities of darkness, who can see victory in the lives of hundreds of people being set free that are bound, strongholds broken, people's eyes opened to see Christ to believe the gospel, being set free from the prison of sin. I believe God wants to raise up a group of people here who begin to pray so that we become prayer warriors. I think our captain is Jesus Christ, the greatest warrior, prayer warrior in the world. In Mark 1, 35, it said, Jesus got up a long time before day, went out to a solitary place, and there he prayed Alone. Luke 15 says 15 different times where Jesus went out, separated himself from everybody, set aside everything that was going on, which he had, you know, he had thousands looking to him. He was busy beyond belief. 
15 times in the book of Luke alone, it says he went out, got completely by himself alone, and spent time in prayer, even all night in prayer. He is our captain. He is our example. He is our Lord. He fought the battle. He released the power of God in the ministry, his ministry through prayer. And I believe that prayerlessness is the single greatest gulf in what we dream and want to see happen in the lives of the people around us in our own life. The single biggest reason that we have such a gulf between what we dream and what we actually see happen. But it's not easy. It's not easy to have a disciplined daily part of your life just set apart. But I proposed to you as more important than television. I talk to men and say, what does your prayer life look like this week? What does your time in the Word look like this week? And they can make many reasons and excuses. I said, well, forget, forget all that. Did you watch the Super Bowl? <laughs> see, we should see prayer no different than if we had an appointment with Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ said, I'll come in person tomorrow morning, meet you at 5 o'clock, and we'll talk. God said to Moses, look, come up on the mountain, let's talk. Moses isn't going to say, hey, I don't have time, God. I'm, you know, I'm, I gotta, I'm busy. We should see prayer time as having an important meeting with Jesus Christ. If we don't have a prayer life as we should, we will live a defeated life. I believe the law of prayer is the same as the law of harvest. Those who pray sparingly reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully in prayer reap bountifully. So I believe that as the prayer life of the church goes, so goes the families. So goes our children. So goes the ministry. The most important part of the work of this ministry is prayer. Because unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So it's not just part of the program. I believe it has to be the priority. And we have to pray things to pass no different uh, first, no different than if you're programming a computer. If you want to get certain results, you've got to put into that thing what you want to, to print out. So we have to get God involved in the battle. Prayer is how we invite him. Prayer is how we get him to intervene. Prayer is how we see the victory. And God hates it. God hates it. The devil hates it. Satan hates it. Because it puts him up against God instead of a human, instead of us. We, we are dependent upon the power of God. Every one of us comes to a place in our life where we run out of strength, resources, get discouraged, get tired, feel defeated. Luke 18, 1, Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Then he tells a story about a widow who goes to the king and pleads and pleads for things, and the king won't answer. And finally, the king says, I'm sick and tired of this woman bugging me all the time. Give her what she wants. And Jesus said, Pray like that. See, because 
with our children, with finances, with health, with all kinds of issues, there are times when we run out of the ability to do it on our own. In our own strength, we can't do it. We have to come to a place where we're desperate enough to pray, and desperate people do pray. If you don't sense that, just wait. You will. God allows us to come to situations in our life where we can't fix it. So let me just summarize, and I'll quit. The effectiveness level of any church, any ministry, any person is always equal to the prayer life level. Prayer is not just another program optional within the church. It's the priority, it's the foundation, it's the basis for all the ministries, central to the ministry. It's the starting place. It's the most important ministry to the church. It's not something over here in a room that's, that's one of the ten programs. That's not how it is in the Bible. Prayer is man's part of God's work. Prayer is man's part of God's work. I mentioned this before, but a huge push 20, 30 years ago to get prayer back into schools. That's not the issue. The issue is get prayer back into churches. That's, that's, that's where we're at. God has something in the future for this church, for us. And his plans will be accomplished. We'll see the fruit of that as we give ourselves to prayer. That's our part. Then he gives birth to the future. He gives birth to the ministry that he wants. God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 59, 1, his hand is not short and he is not deaf. All that God has is available for us today. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for us. God still hears and answers prayer. Prayer changes things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being so patient toward us. Forgive us for being so reliant upon ourselves. Teach us to pray. Give us new priorities and values. God, that we might come to a place where we could reflect you in this world, represent you properly. Help us to live in the experience and the power of your Holy Spirit that we could see our neighbors come to you. So we're crying out to you, O oh God, to help us re-examine our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.